welcome to the Continent of Resistance, a podcast with interviews and discussions on labor movements across Asia. Welcome to the third episode of our podcast. This is Kevin. How, how are you doing, Kyung? Hi, Kevin. Well, I'm just recovered from my call, as you can, as you can say, uh, you can tell from my voice. But apart from that, everything is good. Great, great. Yeah, no, I, I, it's really, really nice back talking to you again. It's been kind of an interesting experience, Journey. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the last two episodes, talking to people, you know, organizers and researchers in Japan and Myanmar, uh, it's been, mm-hmm. it's been quite fascinating. Right. Yes. We have put out two episodes already. Right. And I think our listeners can tell that we are still figuring out how to do yeah. How to be hosting a, po- a podcast, right. right? And this is the third one that I think will be released around May. So right. I think this one we try to we're trying to do something different. Yeah, yeah. No, we definitely want to have a more fun conversation, right? Uh, after quite a quite serious conversation about Myanmar last time. For this episode, we actually we just talked to a Filipino activist, Kara Takawa about about her experiences, about her thoughts and her work, about what it means, what media means for her and for us, what workers mean. Maybe, Kevin, you can explain why we have chosen to talk to her. Right. So I, I spoke to Kara end of last year because so she she's the international officer of uh, the KMU which is a militant worker center in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. So I spoke to her after she was arrested briefly and then released. I-, I wanted to talk to her back then because it was a period of quite intense state repression against organizers. And uh, yeah, so we wanted to learn about her experience. But she's also quite a fascinating person. All right. So so she's still very young, but she has been a student organizer, youth organizer, She's worked nice. with indigenous groups and, and then she became a, a labor organizer. So, you know, I feel she just has such a, a rich and diverse organizing background, right. uh, uh, while she's still quite young. Right. Right. Which reminds me how old I am. <laughs> yeah. We have talked to her. We just finished our conversations shortly. So what do you think, Kevin? What, what, do, what do you like? What's your takeaway? Right. I, I, I like both the, the series uh, as well, our listeners will see the, the serious parts of the conversation to do with organizing, to do with, you know, understanding workers in the informal sectors, but also really like the fun parts of the conversation, which is, you know, where we talk about the K, K drama, popular culture. <laughs> I think that that's definitely a first thing over your podcast. Well, all about you. What's the, What's your takeaway? What's your highlight? Um, yeah, I think my highlights, I have a couple of highlights, but I think one of my highlights is how she talked about her family, right? Uh, her right. background, her family, her parents, you know, her mother was, her mother is uh, an activist, indigenous activist, and her dad, right. a trade unionist, and how she talked about, you know, her memory of Mayday when she was a child and how, you know, that memory kind of, informed her interest. Yeah, I also like in the end, she was talking about the 
about TikToks and, and their their all their own effort to also engage with influencers, which is right. kind of was kind of interesting. But I think it also shows, you know, there there's a long way for us to go to reach uh, the young people and right. get them more engaged with labor issues, right? Right, right. Yeah, we talked about a variety of things. We talked about apart from you know the media and what what workers means, and we asked her about how to engage with young people. We talked right. about representation of workers in the media, right? And you know maybe it's me who started talking about the K dramas, and right. everyone got <laughs> everyone got excited and came out and say, oh yeah. So it, it's great. Yeah. Great. So, yeah. So here's our conversation with Kara. Thanks for joining us, Kara, to the to the podcast. You know, it was obviously very nice talking to you, I think, at the end of last year yeah. when we did the interview for Asian Labor Review. And, you know, we, 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 Kian and I really want to talk to you again because you have a lot of really interesting organizing experience. So maybe if you can sort of start by introducing yourself, how, how would you to someone that you, you know, you know, you meet for the first time, how would you describe yeah. yourself? Yeah. I'm, I'm to all our listeners. I'm Kara, Kara Limina Tagawa. I'm 25 years old from the Philippines. And I was then a young student organizer before I started working with KMU, Kilosang Mayuna, and became an, a labor organizer. Before that, when I was still with the um, group League of Filipino Students before that, we were very active in joining a lot of workers' pickets and strikes. So the first time I got to interact with KMU was because of a workers' strike. A group of workers went on strike. They had them um, a picket. They built a picket out of a tarpaulin and like m- used um, plywood and woods and different woods. Right. And they set up the picket in front of the workplace and they were demanding for wage, wage increase and um, the benefits that were supposed to be given to them, but they weren't given. So that was the first time that we were able, I was able to interact with a worker strike with different workers. And the strike, I think the strike lasted for at least six months. Right. And, and every month, so our school was a, a kind of far from the workers' picket line, but we like we spent at least two weekends every month going to the strike. So I think that's the first time I got to have an interaction with a workers' union. Right, right, right. Hi, Karen. So yeah, it's great to know a little bit more about about your your background uh, coming mm-hmm. into labor issues but before you got into labor issues actually you 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 did something else before right i i, I don't know if that, yeah, yeah i did yeah i wanted actually this um becoming an activist for other people when they see me they think it was um it was a given becoming an activist because my parents were activists right, my mother right. she's an indigenous people's rights activist she right. has uh, she comes from an um, indigenous people's tribe so basically, we have a blood of the national minorities of the indigenous people. My father is a union member. He's currently the union president of their faculty and employees union right. um, in their school. So it's kind of, a, if you think about it, it's kind of like a given, no? Yes. But then, uh, <laughs> yeah. But then I always tell people, like, it's not about 
the background. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not yeah. in your DNA, right? Yeah, it's not in my <laughs> DNA. It's um, it was rightfully, I, it was uh, my own decision to make becoming an activist. When did you decide that? You when I when I well yeah when I went to college I was just mm-hmm. bored actually <laughs> I didn't know anyone <laughs> I didn't know yeah. anyone from college so it was a big city a big university I didn't know anyone and these people these activists they, they talked to me and said oh these are the things that we do and they're like okay just um, I'll join you <laughs> I was experiencing a very high tuition fee I was paying for my parents were paying for tuition fees and other school fees, which were supposed to be free or subsidized by the government because it's it's a state university. Right. But we had to pay for them. That time too, there were the bombings of the Lumad schools, a group of national minorities in Mindanao in the southern part of the Philippines, and they went to Manila. Mm. And because of that, we learned a lot about indigenous peoples, about land, about bombings and militarization in the countryside. And that's how I got to be. First, I started as a volunteer for the, right. the camp. We had a big camp at our university and thousands of indigenous peoples were there. They were camping out and students were like talking to them, discussing with them about their issues, integrating with the life of the national minorities. And that's how I started to volunteer as a Luma teacher. Yeah, I, yeah. I actually want to come back a little bit too. To, to your family, uh, mm. you know, as your mom, you said yeah. uh, your mom is an activist and your, your dad's in a union. Yeah. Did they ever like convince you to, to be like them or teach you something like that? Like sometimes we went to like different forum or concerts where there's a political issue that's being discussed. And we have in the northern part of the Philippines, we have the Cordillera Day. So each year we celebrate the Cordillera region and the peoples who are members of the indigenous peoples. And there's like a lot of celebration of the culture of the, of the struggles. So we went there and then actually when we were very young, my parents were sometimes busy. They had to enroll us to a daycare, which is Uh a program of the activists. So it was a daycare for the children of the activists. So I Mm -hmm. was growing up with it. With some of my, with my oh, friends. Yeah. 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 Story so, so, and so, we, yeah, we were, we were learning about songs. Sometimes we, we performed in forum using the songs that we learned that was about the environment or the land or different issues that we learned. So, uh-huh. so, yeah. so, so growing up, you actually got to spend some time with other kids who, who have like parents, NGOs or activist parents as well, right? And also yeah. your parents encouraged you to participate in more, you know, political activities. Yeah, that that sounds like, you know, yeah. sounds like a real a perfect <laughs> environment <laughs> yeah. for someone yeah. to to cultivate this kind of interest. We'll, we'll talk more about organizing, but you know, because the the podcast will be released either on the May Day or maybe just after the May Day, uh, mm-hmm. May 1st. I, I'm wondering what May Day means to you, uh, either personally mm-hmm. or or to the labor movement in the Philippines. How, how is that celebrated or not celebrated? So that's, the, the May 1st will be in a few days. And if we were to talk about May Day for me as a person, it would be like, I'm, I dread, I dread the May Day. 
Um, because uh, as organizers, you know, as organizers, you have to prepare for everything. Mm-hmm. You have to do, yeah, you have to keep the mobilizations and then the program and then the banners that you have to bring. So a lot of things on your mind. And um, so personally, it's a dreadful day for me because you're always tired. And before that, the days before that, the build up, the weeks before that, you start to get a lot of schedules, <laughs> stuff like that. Right. But then it's also a fulfilling day. It's also a fulfilling day for us because all the hard work that you've done weeks, months prior to that would be like a culmination of everything that you've done in the past. Um, but in the Philippines, this May Day is very important. First of all, it's um, the 120th May Day in the Philippines. So the first May Day in the Philippines was in 1902. And it was led by the Union Obrero Democratica, the first union in the Philippines. Right. So, so this is the 120th. And then this is also the first May Day under the new president that we have. So, right. so it, it's a really challenging time. For, for the current workers, for the trade union movement to do something big and different for this year's May Day. And it's also always similar to the, um, the first May Day in the world. The first May Day in the Philippines was also met with, you know, brutality, violence. It was actually a rally of hundreds of thousands of workers for wage increase and other benefits of workers. That was in 1902. And it's still the same as we want it now in 2023. Uh, sorry, the correction is that the first May Day is 1903 and uh-huh. now is 2023. I wonder if you, you know, thinking about your family again, thinking about your dad when you grew up, did, did it mean anything to you? Do you, when you think about May Day as a uh, child, does, uh, it, does it mean any significant events or... What, what did you remember about me? Mm-hmm. As a person, beside, aside from the way I yeah, mentioned the while right. ago, I have one photo of me in the May Day rally. I was a very small child yeah. back then. So that's some of the activities that we were joining. Mostly were May Day activities in their, in their area of work. And then when I came to college, I got to know more about the importance of May Day. Right. So yeah, that took then, you to the... To the a May Day rally. Yeah. My parents always took me to different types of rallies. And sometimes even when they didn't want to, I instead insisted in joining. <laughs> right. Right. So it, it, was it in the province or in yeah. Manila? So can, In the province. Yeah. Can you, do you remember what happened? What's your impression about it? So my province is in Baguio City. It's um, in the Cordillera region. And since I mentioned a while ago, we, ha- we are a community of indigenous peoples right. in the Cordillera. So it's usually a program where there are manifestations, there are people speaking, but more importantly, there are a lot of cultural performances. Right. Like there, I don't know how you call it in different parts, but we have the gong. We call it, what do you call Gangs Densa. Uh-huh. We call it Gensa, but the gongs and they make rhythms and make music. Right. And then um, while you're dancing, while they, they are playing, playing that, usually the men are playing the gongs. The women uh-huh. are dancing. We call them Tadok. Yeah. And women are dancing Tadok. So it's a cultural activity. It sounds um, like fun. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually a community dance. 
Right. It's but it's also a cultural activity that's incorporated in the manifestations. So right. it's actually um one thing and then there are a lot of songs. What's uh I find very interesting what where it came from. They have very good um, songs. We call them Salidumai. So Salidumai is also a traditional song. Uh-huh. But you can change the lyrics um, and then the lyrics reflect like the struggles and the campaigns of the time. So that's very interesting. For right. Us. So, I mean, uh, in, in Thailand, you know, because, because the, as I said, the Labor Day is more associated with the trade union movements and, you know, and, mm-hmm. and mostly, you know, participants in, in the rally or, or like mm-hmm. members of Labor Confederation or Labor Congress. Mm-hmm. Which are, yeah. you know, state sanctions, right? Which, mm. so, so we, yeah, there's, there's this kind of disconnect when you think about Mayday, you mm. see small groups of, I don't know, should I use like labor aristocrats <laughs> as a term to describe <laughs> disconnect between this group and the larger group of people who work, right? People who, yeah. you know, in everyday life, like, like for example, what we call informal workers. Yeah. Uh, in the informal economy, you know, people who don't yeah. have that kind of contract or, yeah. or relationships, but, but they, they're working class that which mm-hmm. do not actually celebrate maybe. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's something uh, it's going to, let, let's talk about this because I basically the changing meaning of what mm-hmm. a worker is, right? Uh, I think as Ken was saying, right? Like, I think the majority of workers in Asia are in the informal sectors, yeah. they're now in factories, they're now in sort of blue color, uh, color mm-hmm. employment. But, but that image is still, I think, is stuck with us. Like what, mm-hmm. what's, I wonder what, what you both think that the sort of changing, changing meaning of what a worker is, if you can reflect on, on that in like in your own experience and observations. We've been studying a lot about the different types of um, work that has like what what you call this that's the that's developed that's been developed over the years and first one is that we have what we call the contractual work the short-term contractual work we called it in the Philippines contractualization and it has heavily affected the rate of unionized workers right because if you go back so we usually consider the philippine constitution as the basis of defining workers uh-huh. So workers are entitled to living wage, decent work, I heard you call this, and regular employment. Right. And we think that everyone, uh, and if you base that on, and if you base the meaning of the worker on that, then a lot of workers are not workers. Right. So we, yeah. So we try to consider who are the workers who are not getting visa, who are not achieving this one, because they should mm. still be part of the workers, but we have to do an effort, make an effort to be, to make them become part of the, the people who are benefiting from the, the, the rights that were stated in the, right. in the Southeast Constitution. Right. And over the years, there has been a lot of changes in the Philippines. So like, there was a lot of pull out of garment factories, mm. of garment multinational corporations in the Philippines. So if you think about it, where have, where have the workers gone? Where, where did right. the workers go? Right. And then there's also a debate that the Philippines is already an industrialized country because there's a growing number of service workers, mm. of workers in the service sector. I mean, you know, I, I think I, when I started, you know, getting interested in, in labor, it was really 
all about factory workers. Mm-hmm. I think, as Carrie was mentioning, you know, the Philippines also went through industrialization and Thailand as well. So there was always a period when, when it seemed the predominant form of work is factory, factory labor, right? But I think with the, the sort of expanded sort of definition, what, what work in, consists of or what kind of work, context work, I think the, the image and the meaning of what worker looks like today, it's, it's, it's a very different, I think, from the past or even from maybe five, 10 years ago, right? I mean, thinking about media representation, one familiar thing that people probably in Southeast Asia and maybe around the world are, can relate to is like the K-drama, right? Like everyone yes. watches K-dramas. <laughs> you know, yeah. lately I've seen a lot of Korean yeah. dramas that kind of address the issue of like workplace, <laughs> you know, workplace drama that are explicitly, you know, labor issues, right? I've seen uh, a yes. few... I don't know if you've seen seen it too, and I yeah. wish there would be more about this in in Thailand. What about mm. in, in the Philippines? I I ha- actually have no idea what what kind of drama or soaps in the Philippines like, or you know, movies. Some of the Korean movies were were really interesting. I, I think some of the earlier earlier ones I I seen, you know, there are stories essentially about some of the democracy democratic movements protests in the nineteen nineteen eighties. There have been a few documentaries and even shows from independent like filmmakers. And that one's very interesting. Some were about the democracy movement during the martial law in the Philippines. There were also movies way that goes way back during the colonization of the Philippines. So that was a really an interesting watch. And then it's also like when you, when I watch them, I'm like, Oh, it's good that there are movies like this. So it helps also, especially with the young people, that they are able to watch that. Maybe they're not much into reading history and all that, but maybe watching this gives them kind of like a background on what happened in the past. But then there's, and there's also a lot of documentaries, but there, I think they're not about us organizer, organizers, but more about workers and how poor their life is, and how difficult it is. And you always gather the sentiments of the people say, oh, kawawa naman, kawawa means, oh, what the pity, or they're very pitiful, something like that. So, but you always gather the kind of sentiments like pity and all that sadness or anger. But then sometimes when I watch these, it's like criticizing also. It's also, it's like, oh, I'm very thankful because even if they're not as mainstream, there are some kinds of these productions out in the market, but then also like a criticism because it's limited to, you know, to what they're experiencing, what's happening, but not how to move on from that. And sometimes in the news, that's what the people see. Like when you're doing a rally or you're doing a strike, it's like in a bad light, you know? So, so I, I guess I'm waiting for something that's going to show a full story of how difficult it is, but how rightful it is to you organizing mobilization. Right. Yeah, I think there's definitely a, a, a tendency sometimes to portray workers as just the, 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 the worst exploited and, and, you know, they're uh, miserable, but that's not necessary. Well, it does. I don't, I don't think that's a, a, always an accurate depiction of workers. Yeah. Uh, but, but more importantly, I, I don't think that necessarily reach 
because there is mm-hmm. certain moralism involved, right? So if we the idea yeah. that if if we depict workers kind of miserable uh, in miserable state, somehow you will move people morally to take actions, but I don't think that's that that works in the long term. Yeah, right? yeah. You're listening to the continent of resistance. Yeah, let, let's maybe talk about youth and and you know also carry student and youth organizer. I think Kian, like we we were talking before about how can we engage with young people and or bring a new generation of of students, activists, workers into the movement. Like what, Kara, what's your insight into engaging with young people and and what are the the, the ways that you see have worked to get them energized and interested. We call it tireless persuasion. Among the activists, we call it tireless persuasion. Because when I was a young activist and in the university, we go from different rooms, different classrooms, and we ask the professor to let us like give a few minutes to talk about the different issues. And we do that every hour of every day from maybe from 8.30 a.m. to 7 p.m. We try to do that in order to like... Give the students, aside from learning academics, we also give them like ideas of what's happening and the different issues. And imagine we do that like eight to five or eight to seven every time there's a class and every day there's a class. You just have to let people know that there's someone out there, out here waiting for them and there's something that we can do about it. And then if you're ready to talk about this, if you're ready to do something about this, then we're here. I think mm. that's that's what I learned. Um, and in the Philippines, we have like a young labor population. So mm. more than maybe around 50% of our labor movement is of the labor population comes wow. from the that's youth. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. But then we're not sure if there are much of them are involved in like organizing associations or unions because the, there's really a small number of unionized or organized workers. And right, um, right. and if you look at it, the, the young workers, they're in the service sector. And the service sector is a really, what do you call this? Like they're in a precarious right, work right. conditions. Like no, no long-term contracts in work, no job security. So you don't know, you never know if the people, if these young people are like, able to see that, oh, there's a way out from what I'm experiencing. And so I was talking with my peers about, I, I saw this thing online. It's called quiet quitting. Uh-huh. Have you heard that? Uh-huh. Yeah. The quiet quitting. Yeah. 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 Right. And then the people were like, okay, I just do what I'm paid for. I do it until the time I'm paid for, et cetera, et cetera. And if you think about it, it's the way the young people do Right, right. Like, because they say it's the millennials, I think, or the Gen Zs in this one. Uh-huh. <laughs> and like, it's the reaction of the young people to the labor conditions. Like, why are you doing me this much work without me getting enough compensation and enough benefit and enough benefits? So we think among my peers, we thought right. this quiet quitting, it's a new way of the young people like reacting to the difficult mm. labor situation, but also it's limited because they were 
thought that if I do this alone, right, it's right. going to be fine. Right. So they had to see that, like, quiet quitting, if you do it collectively, <laughs> like right. in the hundreds or thousands, it's going to work. <laughs> right. But then which, quiet. Which is yeah. called general strike. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, just call it strike. Yeah. Yeah. And then we shared this to older, like, organizers and older trading this. And they say, yeah, it, that's a strike. It's just right. that they're doing it individually, mm-hmm. but they have to see that you can do it, you know, in right. large numbers. <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely hear the the that frustration. I think that's pretty common, right? I, I think yeah, in much of Asia, I guess you you can even say across the world, like the the young generation don't see a much in the future. You know, don't don't really see a, a bright sort of future prospect, and and may not even have a career to to speak of. So, and I, I think definitely the the like the quiet quitting. Or, mm-hmm. you know, in China, it's called lying flat. Like those kind of phenomena. Lying flat. <laughs> people are kind of just, they're, they're under so much pressure. And the, the job is really, even if they're working really, really hard, they're still not able to, you know, secure a, a kind of decent, like, living standard. So, uh, yeah, I think I think the, then the question, like, Kara, as you were saying, becomes, you have all this frustration, then how do you channel that into maybe collective actions that actually can lead right. to structural changes. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. That's, I think that's an important issue that you raised. And yeah. I, yeah. Also, you know, the, I think the impact on individuals, especially mental health issues now yeah. are really commonplace and widespread, right? It's, it's concerning how it's changing. I mean, there's also changing way of work that, uh, impacts everyone that we we are doing it in, in the way that are more isolated or more atomized and I think Kara, you also alluded to maybe for me when I, when I when I heard what what you were saying it's think of, I also think about like you know the idea of young people thinking about themselves as entrepreneur or the entrepreneurial mm-hmm. chip as mm-hmm. well right that's promoted in in not only in one country, but everywhere, right? I don't yeah. know if you, what would you think about, like, you know, the, like, recent statistic that I heard that people, young people want to be, like, if they, you ask them the, 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 the careers or the kind of work that they want to do and, like, one of the top ones is, like, influencer or social yeah. media influencer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that... Because I see a lot of influencers. Sometimes I follow them a lot too. They're, they're really funny influencers and they're influencers who speak on labor issues or even national mm. issues. So I right. follow them. If you look at the, like at the profile of these influencers, yeah. it's like they start on a social media platform like TikTok, YouTube, and they start earning from that. Right. right. Fast without, without like asking for anyone to do something for them. Right. And they start entering and then after that they get like commercial projects from different companies. They get offers from different like how do you call this? The agencies. Mm. Yeah. So 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 there's that they don't have it. Like you don't have to have a degree. You don't have to have a boss. It's just Right. You decide. You decide for your right. life when would, you're an influencer. Yeah. Would that be a way to organize people, you think? <laughs> Yeah, it could be. 
if a lot of students or it's a lot of the young people or influencers are wanting to be influencers, there's at least to be some kind of like regulations in terms of their work. Right. Because I'm, you, we're, you're not always sure. It's, it's like, yes, these influencers are in charge of their lives. But then if something happens to them with regards to their work, so who's the, the capital on the, what's going to happen? Who's going to pay for the bills and all that? Right, right. So, I, um, because, yeah. Yeah. No, I, so I, I know I'm just saying it's a, it's a really, really interesting point. Sorry to, to jump in, but I, I think, I think yeah. a lot of people would definitely like that kind of protection and I mean, certain degree of job security. But at the same time, people don't necessarily want to be controlled. Yeah. So that they, yeah. I, I think, I think it's very, it's, it's, it's nitro, like, right? Like we, I think we all want more job, like autonomy in, in what we do. I think mm. there are studies that shows like, you know, the more autonomy you have, the, the better your, your work experience is, right? The better mental health, mental health outcomes are as well. So I think yeah. having that autonomy is something that young people definitely why do. That's true. Like, why do you want, I myself, I don't want to have a boss. <laughs> I yeah. don't want to work for a boss. <laughs> Right. Uh, so yesterday, we were watching a video yesterday, my friend and I, we were watching a video. There's this influencer, we don't know him. He just made, he made a parody song. Uh, and the parody song was about wages. And uh -huh. he was singing, he was singing about wages that were not enough and stuff like that. And all the comments of the people that we didn't know were like, that's true. They were all agreeing with right. the song, blah, 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 blah. So it was a funny way of talking about the issues, but everyone was like, instead of uh, the comments were like, instead of laughing, I, 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 I cry because that's true. That's a true experience that I'm experiencing, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. It's, I think it's one of the most powerful way, right? When you use creativity through yeah. art, whether that's art or, you know, music or performance what you said about all those comments right it's agreeing with with the with the influencer about wages i think I, I feel like that's all every single one of them is organizing opportunity right yeah so, so it's it's kind of this interesting contrast between on the one hand like fairly low unionization rate or low level of union engagement uh maybe especially maybe among young people in the informal sectors mm. etc but at the same time, like the, the issues are there, right? People are feeling frustrated and they are expressing it through social media. And I think I'm trying to, you know, maybe think about art and culture as a way of understanding because people don't necessarily always write a political statement to express their problems. They, they may use other form or they may respond better to other forms of communication, art, cultural, popular culture, etc. So... Yeah, I, I think it's definitely a big challenge for, for us, all of us, right? I think understanding that, so maybe having broader sort of definition of what, you know, constitute the labor movement. Sometimes maybe we, we discard or not take it seriously, popular culture, but I think there's always a being strength, right? In, mm -hmm. in, in left-wing labor organizing that takes culture really seriously. I've read interesting histories about labor movement, right? Creating a culture of its own. I think that mm. that's extremely important as a way to to communicate your ideas. Yeah, that's a really, really great point. I think when I when I think about because my work has been around political economy, right? Thinking about oh, you know, different groups and power in in the economy, but I feel like there is also 
on the parallel, there's this what what the you know in in academia they call it cultural economy, which is also mm. really important, right? Which is the you know the production of culture, production of meaning, and the the production of meaning. The tools yeah. for the for the production of meaning have been naturally appropriated by you know people who have money, people who yeah. have resources, but not not people on our side. Right, mm-hmm. right. It's important that. Well, when we talk about key drama, I, I, I'm always happy to see the representation of, you know, workers, not yeah. only because, you know, we work on this issue, but I really want people who are working, working people themselves to see themselves in, in the media, right? Or in the mainstream media, in, see their problems, see their everyday life, or see their situation being reflected so right. that they could engage with you know what's going on because as you said Karen I think most of the time people feel like it's it's like in Thailand I feel like the TVs in the past was like you know, the way to escape from reality like people want to think about something else because their life's been really difficult right but so yeah to bring that kind of their situation into their into their leisure time or you know mm-hmm. when they're not when they don't want, don't want to think about work maybe for people, maybe that's difficult, right? I we, I don't know. It's, it, it seems to me there is that contradiction there. But the idea of people working on labor using the production of culture or meaning in the, in our work more seems to be really critical, right? Right. Yeah, I, I want to also add, I think the other part of this is history, right? So we did an interview with the, with the Philippine Labor Archive few months ago, you know, I think that was initiative by, I think different groups, different groups, mm-hmm. of young people, but it seems yeah. mostly people who are engaging in the creative industry, yeah. videographers, freelance journalists, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the production quality is really high. I mean, I, I haven't physically yeah. been to the, the, the place, but from what they shared online, it, it looks like, you know, the, they are able to present that, that labor history really really well i think that's you know having you know preserving that history and 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 presenting it in a way that is is appealing to to people that's also really really important yeah yeah we were actually my friends and i we were actually and even the older unionists we were talking about it started last year we were talking about how to get into the TikTok community. <laughs> because um, the union members that we have and the little time that they can spend out of work and out of household chores, they spend on Facebook videos, the short ones, and then the TikTok videos. So we were trying to think about how to like to, to, to get to that because we, we didn't know. Not us knew how to do the TikTok. And we were used to, like, you know, writing the long statements and doing this and doing the infographics. But sometimes, like, a lot of people are just in- engaged in TikTok. <laughs> but so it's a work in progress how to, how to reach out the mainstream channels to reach out more people. Because even if we try, like, many different kinds of production, if it's, like, if it's limited to... Right. To, to your circle, then it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. 
Yeah, you know, I really enjoyed the conversation. It sort of went into a direction that we were not anticipating, but I think it's all the better, <laughs> all the better for it. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much, Kara, for having this discussion with us. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you too. So this year is the 30th anniversary of two factory fires that really shocked a lot of people in Asia. It's the Cater Fire in May 1993 in Bangkok, right. Thailand, and then the Jili Fire in Shenzhen in November the same year. The The reason, oh, obviously it's the 30th anniversary, but I think the, the, the reason that we want to maybe talk a little bit about the, the two fires is, is, is the fact that I think the... Despite a lot of progress and despite a lot of campaigning, you know, occupational health and safety issues are still very much with us, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. It's it's one of the key issues that are still common among workers, whether or not, you know, we talk about factory workers, we talk about, like last episode, we talked about the health and safety issues of food delivery riders, right? So right. they're still here. Just just a few words on the Cater Fire. Right. It happened, as you said, in May uh, 1993 on May 10th. That we saw that actually that a lot of a lot of workers, a lot of people died. 188 died. Right. And and around 500 injured. Mm. So the the factory was joint venture. Actually, mm. it's Thai, Taiwanese, and Hong Kong. Right. In uh, the and the, the factory manufactured toys and you know children toys and dolls and the the, the factory itself is in Nakhon Patong, which is on the in the periphery of Bangkok. Right. Yeah, so, and, and yeah, and and the 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 Chile fire, which happened in November the same year, so only six months apart. It's also very similar, right? So it's a toy factory, right? The the fire was caused by I think a short circuiting of the of the wires and safe wires, and and then it burned you know very quickly spread very quickly throughout the factory because of the the materials they used to stuff mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the the toys and it's it's also it's a Hong Kong owned factory that produces toys for Italian brand and yeah similarly there were there were dozens of workers who who died in the fire and there were a lot more who are pretty seriously injured in the fire. So there, there are similarities for sure. Right, right. Yeah. For the case of Kader, actually, the fire that happened in 1993, in May 1993, was not the first one, mm. right? The, mm. the, this, this incident actually pointed to a couple of things. One, the first one is actually accidents, especially fire happens in the factory right, before. Right, and, right. you know... There was a union, actually. Mm. Uh, there was a cater union that was started in 1991, I mm. believe. And actually, the, the cater fire raised a couple of issues. First is the inability of the, of the union right. to, to prevent this from happening again and mm. you know, to promote or uh, to improve the working conditions. Right. You know, and some analysts... Some analysts actually 
pointed to the affiliation of this union that was a labor confederation that was supported by the military in, right, in, in, right. in the previous decade. So actually, right. this incident, the, the Cato fired can teach us about a couple of things. What about the, the Sunni case? Yeah, so, so in the Chile case, there, there was no union mm-hmm. in the factory. I, I think maybe, you know, also it may be helpful to zoom out a little bit, right? Right. Because I think the, the 90, 90s, early 1990s was a period where a lot of investments from Hong Kong, from Taiwan right. are, are going to mainland China and are going to mm-hmm. Southeast Asia. And they built those factories to produce mostly for Europeans, American right. brands. And they, they, they very often employ very young women workers right. to work in those toy factories, also, you know, other shoe factories, etc. And, and the conditions are very unsafe very often for mm-hmm. them. And, and, and I also read in the cater case as well, you know, there were some warning signs, right? There were small fires right, that right. fall the, the major fire in May. It's very similar in, in Chile as well, as well. There were warning signs. There were inspections that pointed out problems, but management basically just ignored them because, right. you, you know, fixing them will cost more money. Right. So that kind of racing to the bottom, you know, that people, Talk about at the time, you know, that that was very much the contact in which those two fires took place. Right. And yeah, just to highlight that the toys or dolls produced at Kieda Fire were exported to to the the European and the US market as well. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. Right. And and I think also maybe it's interesting to think about what what comes out of the, the, the two fires, right? I know in the case of Julie Fire, a number of Hong Kong labor and, and, and human rights and groups established, set up this toy coalition and right. started a campaign that lasted for many, many years right. to demand accountability from those global brands and also better regulations and enforcement of safety standards. I know there's a very similar Thai labor right. campaign as yes. well. Yes, yes. Domestically, there was, I think, the need to have a better coalition. So right, there was right. uh, a formation of what is called Committee for Assisting Cater Employees or CAIC. Right, right. So CAIC was formed to help workers affected by, you know, by the incident to get proper compensation because right. one, of, one of the things was that the original compensation was calculated based on the, the wages the, the wages that they received at the time, right, right, minimum wage, right? right. So this this group, this body was formed to advocate for fair compensation for the workers, yeah. and at the same time coordinated with a larger international network, regional network, right, as, right. as you said in the case of Julie, especially the Hong Kong labor groups. You know, which the Hong Kong, which is the the headquarter. Of the company, right? So right, right. the Hong Kong labor groups, largely coordinated by AMRC or Asia Monitoring Resource Center, mm. helps Thai workers to uplift this advocacy. Right, right. And, you know, as you said, improve their working conditions in toys factories, not only in Thailand, but also in the Philippines, in Vietnam, mm, in China. Mm. You know, that's the thing that the, the, the solidarity, international solidarity that came out of, of this. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, when I was doing some research on on this part of the history, you know, I saw the there the, the, there was that Thai labor delegation that came right. to Hong Kong after right. the Cater fire. That was kind of that was interestingly before the Jilly fire. But I, I think that that actually that delegation visit actually helped. I think sort of push or encourage the Hong Kong group to also think more about the international solidarity piece right. uh, in this. And I, as you said, you know. I think those two, in the aftermath of those two fires, I think there was a lot more effort, coordinated effort regionally, right? Because it's it's more than a national problem. It's it's a it's a we can say a regional, global, or transnational uh, issue. Right. Yeah, and I think the the other piece I want to highlight is that not only international, regional, international coalition or solidarity has been built after after the fire, but there is also, you know, a connection between labor and non-labor groups, right? right uh, in right. the case of Cater, there was international boycott campaigns actually mm. that came out of that and received by, you know, Australia or by the mm. U.S. consumer groups as well, which, you know, I think was really, really important contribution to, to the advocacy work. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the, the that international... I think it was taking place in an in, in interesting moment in the 90s, right, where there was a global, emerging global movement of looking at labor rights violations and safety issues in the global supply chain. So there right. was that, that, that critical moment where, you know, groups in, in, in Asia are coming together and, and form, forming correlation. And I think that this larger question of accountability of brands also kind of emerge out of out of that 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 context but uh, yeah I, i'm also interested to see you know the how things progress because it's also actually the 10th anniversary of the rana plaza building right. collapse right so uh-huh. that happened 20 years after the two factory right. fires right so i i i feel you know and and I, I we still as you mentioned we still see occupational health safety issues uh, still pretty prevalent not just in factories but also right. in, in in other other sectors so i would be quite interested to see how we can move the the movement forward and and uh address issues not only in the factories but also in other sectors as well right yes and i think since uh this episode is going to be released around the anniversary of the cater fire as well as in may you know in May, where we have the International Labor Day or May Day, it's, it's, I think it's important for us to, to commemorate, the, you know, the, 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 the hard work and the progress that the labor movement, especially in the region, has, have achieved, as well as, right. you know, reconnect to our, or recommit to our cause to, to advocate for better conditions of, of workers. Right. Great, great, great. Yeah, I, I, I think this is definitely both a moment for, for reflection, but also a moment for strategizing, right? Because uh, there's definitely a, a long way, long way to go still. You have been listening to the Continent of Resistance podcast. You can download our latest episode on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also visit our website at laborreview.org. See you until next time.